Thank you very much. You may be seated. Let's take God's Word together and turn again to this Old Testament passage of Judges chapter 14. Judges 14, we've been looking together at the life of Samson, and we come now to this next portion of Scripture. I remind you that we looked on Wednesday at the last couple of verses of the 13th chapter, and the woman bare a son, verse 24 of chapter 13, and called his name Samson. And the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtael. Now, most Bible commentators take an entirely negative view of Samson. Most Bible commentators have the idea that Samson was nothing more than an egotistical, passion-led a man who couldn't control his own lusts and desires, and, and therefore, at best, what we learn from Samson is that God is able to use us even in spite of our brokenness. Well, that's true. Of course, God can use us in spite of our brokenness, but there's so much more in the life of Samson, so much more that we learn about this man by looking at this, this passage. And I want today to encourage you, we come to the next uh, portion of God's Word in regards to this man's life, and it is the next time we find the Spirit of God moving upon him. By the way, Samson is not a man who's out of control. He's a man who's under the control of God's Spirit. We're told very plainly in verse 14, the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. Uh, pardon me, chapter 13, verse 25, the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan. We're told in the previous verse that the Lord blessed him. Samson was a man blessed of God. He was a man moved by God's Spirit. I don't think we typically would criticize and condemn somebody today if they were blessed of God and moved by God's Spirit, would we? I think we need to be careful about some of our indictments against Samson. I think one of the things, one of our problems as we look at the life of Samson is sometimes when we look at people's lives and they do not do, they do not live the way we think they should live, or they do not do things the way that we think they should do things, then we sometimes condemn them or criticize them. But can I tell you today that I remind you that the Spirit of God bloweth where he listeth. The Spirit of God moves in the way that he wants to move. And sometimes it isn't in our orthodox view of how God's Spirit should move. And that's really what we find in chapter 14. In the first beginning of this uh, chapter, we find Samson really acting in a very unorthodox way. The Scriptures tell us he goes down to Timnath, he sees a woman of the Philistines, comes up and tells his father and mother that I want to marry this woman. And of course, they were concerned. Uh, why would you marry a woman of the Philistines? Surely there's got to be a woman of the Israelites from the tribe of Dan. Surely there's got to be somebody from our own people, somebody better than a Philistine. But we find the key verse in this whole passage in verse number four. But his father and his mother knew not that it was of the Lord. And he sought an occasion against the Philistines. For at that time, the Philistines had dominion over Israel. I've underlined in my Bible, he sought an occasion against the Philistines. That's exactly what this context of this portion is. God was seeking an occasion through Samson 
to attack the Philistines, to destroy the Philistines. And so the next time we read of the Spirit of God coming down upon Samson is in the context of Samson finding this Philistine wife. And there are several things to consider as we examine this text today. Again, this is not a man that's acting according to his own lusts and passions. This is not a man who's out of control. He is, in fact, being led by God. And before you get on the bandwagon and throw stones at Samson, just like his father and mother were not quite happy with him, I remind you, verse 4, his father and his mother knew not that it was of the Lord. This was of God. His father and mother didn't see it. They couldn't understand it, but it was of God. Would you look this way for a moment? Sometimes people are moved and led by God in such a way that it looks different than the normal Christian way, and therefore we're tempted to say, there's something wrong here. But we're told here very plainly that this was of God. He's being led by God. He's obeying the prompting of God. In fact, if I, if I remind you of that previous, the last verse of chapter 13, the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtol, and Samson went down to Timnath. So chapter 14, the, next, the first verse of chapter 14 is a continuation of the previous thought. The Spirit of God had begun to move him, and he went down. We understand still being moved of God. He went down to Timnath, and he saw a woman there of the daughter of the Philistines. Let's talk for a moment about the choice of a wife that Samson had. It was of God. Now, he gets criticized even today about this, but we're told very plainly that it was of the Lord, kind of like Moses when he married Zipporah. Do you remember that? And Aaron and Miriam didn't like that. He would marry this, this woman, but it was of God. God proved it in Numbers chapter 12, I believe it is. What about when God told Hosea to marry a harlot? Hosea married Gomer. God was teaching his people a lesson, and so it is here. This was going to be used of God as an occasion against the Philistines. For at that time, the Philistines had dominion over Israel. Not only would Samson's marriage be used as an occasion against the Philistines, it would serve to show where Israel had gone wrong. I remind you that God's people were in a very bad place right now. When Samson was raised up as judge, the nation of Israel had begun to descend lower than it had ever been before. I, rem I remind you of this pattern we find in the book of Judges. It's a, a, a cyclical pattern, a cycle of going further and further, lower and lower. And this was the lowest they'd gone. In fact, we read it at the end of the scriptures, at the end of this book, that every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And so Samson, the last of the judges, and the nation of Israel were at their lowest point, at their worst in their history, you could say up until this point, amongst the judges. And Israel themselves were never, were not thinking properly. It's amazing to me that when God's people are not what they ought to be, when the church is at its weakest, they oftentimes seem to throw stones at their own people the most. When the church is at its weakest, when it's most compromising, and when it's softest in its stand for Christ, it's usually then that the people of God criticize their own more than they ever do. And that's what's happening here. In fact, in fact you find it all throughout the the life of Samson, he's constantly being criticized by his own people. But I remind you, his own people were not living the way they should. 
they were under the rule of the Philistine people and they were quite comfortable there. Can I tell you one of the greatest problems in Christianity today in the Western world is that we are under the rule of this world and we're quite, quite comfortable here. The church today, instead of letting the Lord Jesus Christ be Lord and master over us, we allowed this world to be master over us. Instead of bowing the knee to Jesus Christ and to his commands, we've bowed the knee to this world and its commands. And the same problem, it's the same problem that Israel had. Look at chapter 15 and verse number 11. 3,000 men of Judah went up to the top of the rock Edom and said to Samson, Knowest thou not that the Philistines are rulers over us? What is this that thou hast done unto us? This was after his battle victory over the 30 Philistines. We'll read about that next week. Can you imagine the people of God saying, don't you, don't you understand, Samson? Why are you fighting the Philistines, Samson? Don't you understand that the Philistines are rulers over us? And isn't that just the way that God's people are today? The moment that one of God's people stand up against this evil regime of this world system, the moment that God's people oppose what is popular amongst this world is the moment that God's people say, hold on a moment, don't you realize that they are rulers over us? The same way that the Israelites had allowed the Philistines to be rulers over them. This was the condition that Israel was, and God was allowing Samson to marry this Philistine woman as if to show the nation of Israel that they too had been married to the Philistines. They'd forsaken their great God and joined heart and hand with the Philistine people. I wonder this morning, have you and I grown comfortable in this, under this world's rule? Have you grown accustomed to following whatever it is this world tells you to follow? to going where the world tells you to go and doing what the world tells you to do. Have you bowed the knee to Babylon today rather than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? This is, I believe, one of the reasons that God allowed Samson to marry this woman, to show God's people where they were, but also we find in a moment, we find later on in the chapter to destroy some of the Philistines to begin to, begin to destroy the Philistine people. Now, the scriptures tell us in this text, just after verse number four, verse number five, then went Samson down and his father and his mother to Timnath and came to the vineyards of Timnath. And behold, a young lion roared against him, and the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. So here he is going down to fetch his woman, his bride, the Philistine woman. His father and mother didn't want him to have, but he went. It was of God. And in this, in his journey... He's attacked by a lion. I believe God is showing Samson that God is with him. Scriptures tell us in verse number six, the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. It's the second time in the life of Samson that we read this. And he rent him as he would have rent a kid. Samson is on his way down to fetch his wife. A lion attacks him and he rips this lion in pieces because the spirit of God is upon him. And God is showing Samson that God is with him. God is showing Samson that God is leading him, that God is guiding him. An amazing thought, just like David. Do you remember in, in 1 Samuel 17, in verse number 34, David said to Saul, thy servant kept his father's sheep. There came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard 
and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. Without a doubt, God was showing Samson that he was with him, and just the same way that God gave Samson strength to rip this lion in pieces, God was going to give him strength to rip the Philistine army in pieces. And God was giving him something in the very beginning of his ministry that he could look back on in the years to come and be reminded that God was with him, God was strengthening him, and God would be with him. I wonder this morning, can you look back in your own life and see some examples and reminders of how God has been with you, how the Spirit of God has come upon you and allowed you, enabled you to defeat the enemy. Well, those are good reminders to us. We ought to revisit those things and those sites. In fact, that's what we find Samson doing. Uh, later on, he goes back and he visits where the lion lay dead. Well, he did that because he was, wanted to remind himself of, of what God had done, the victory that God had given him. This would encourage him in the future battles. The lion is a picture of the strength of the Philistines. And God was showing to, Philip, to, to Samson that Samson would be able, just like he did with this lion, to weaken the strength of the Philistines. Every once in a while, God in his mercy gives us victory over particular areas in our life. And those victories are meant to serve as a reminder to us that God is with us never to leave us nor forsake us. And if he has helped us once before, he shall help us again. Amen. If he's given us victory in some previous lion, then he'll give us victory over those that we meet in the future. It's interesting, the Bible tells us in verse number 8, after a time he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. Now it's an interesting thing. Some people, again, they criticize Samson for going and looking at a dead, dead lion. But I do remind you that the, uh, the instructions given to Samson as a, as a Nazarite were, were a little bit different than the average Nazarite. If you remember, the average Nazarite was not allowed to touch anything dead, but Samson was not instructed in that way. When the angel came to Manoah and to Manoah's wife, the angel did not say that Samson could not touch anything dead. We believe that is probably because Samson was being raised up to kill the enemies of God. He would be used of God to destroy uh, the enemies, the Philistine army. And therefore, he would be very much constantly being in, in contact with dead, that which is dead. So anyway, Samson comes down. He returns to see the carcass of the lion. I believe he probably was revisiting that, that space, that place, that opportunity where God used him and God helped him. He wanted to remind himself of what God had done. And the Bible says there was something very unusual, a swarm of bees and of honey in the carcass of the lion. And he took thereof in his hands and he went on eating and came to his father and mother and he gave them and they did eat. But he told them not that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. In fact, they didn't even know that he had fought the lion. The Bible says he told not his father and mother in verse number six, he told not his father or his mother what he had done. And so I don't believe he was hiding the fact that it was out of a dead carcass, but perhaps he was hiding the fact that it was out of that lion that he had killed, or killed earlier. But let's consider this for a moment. He finds a very unusual sight in the carcass of a lion, very abnormal. Bees do not go into dead bodies of lions and, and begin to set up shop and to make their, their, their beehive 
and the dead carcass of a lion. It was very unusual. We find some very interesting observations. The idea here is that, is, there, is it possible for anything good to come out of death? Is it possible for anything good to come out of death? We have seen in recent days amongst our own folks, we've lost some dear ones that we've loved. And sometimes we have the idea that death is all bad. But we learn through God's word that there is good, even in the passing of a loved one, that there is something good to be found, something abnormally good to somebody who's lost and has no hope of eternity and no hope of of faith in Christ Jesus and therefore no hope of heaven, then there is nothing good that comes out of death. Someone who does not have the hope of eternal life, then therefore death does not bring anything good at all. But we refine very plainly in God's word that death does not end at all. That death is just the beginning for a child of God. That death is an entrance into eternity, into the presence of Almighty God. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And therefore we find great blessing in death. And so we find it here, something very abnormal in the death, in the carcass of a lion. We find honey, something sweet. What an interesting thought when you consider Samson fighting this lion. What you'll notice about Samson all through this passage is that Samson always fought alone. Samson always fought alone. There was no Israelite army. There was no one to back him up. He had not even one person. He always fought alone. And here he is fighting the lion alone. But we find that although he fought alone, he does not feast alone. What a picture of our Savior. The Lord Jesus fought alone, didn't he? The Lord Jesus did upon the cross of Calvary what none of us could do. And he did what nobody else could do. He suffered and died for our sins. He bled and died and took upon himself the wrath of Almighty God. He bore up in his body the, uh, the marks of our sins, of our iniquities. And he endured what we should have endured. And he did it alone. But Jesus does not feast alone, does he? The same way that Samson fought the lion alone, but yet he did not feast alone. He partook of the honey, but he also was able to share that honey with those that he loves. What a picture of our Savior, that the Lord Jesus Christ fought alone upon the cross of Calvary, but he tasted and seen the victory that is found in the resurrection from the grave. And he doesn't share in that alone, but he shares it with us, all those who by faith come to him, all those who turn from their sins and believe on his name, trusting in his finished work. In the same way that Samson was feasting with those that he loves, we find the Lord Jesus Christ feasting with us. In fact, we find in God's word that we shall one day sit down together and dine with him at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I do not understand all the details and implications of that, but I imagine that will be a very special day when we shall sit down with our Savior, look upon him face to face, and enjoy some sort of fellowship around a table with him. That's precisely what we find in this picture here. Later on, we find the little parable given uh, about the lion, out of the sweetness, out of the strong came forth sweetness, out of the eater came forth meat, and out of the strong came forth sweetness. And what a picture 
out of death, the death of our Savior, came the sweetness of the resurrection. Out of the bitterness of Christ's death came the sweetness of salvation. What a picture that is put before us here in this, in this passage of Scripture. Later on, it will, take a, it will take a riddle. We'll look at that at another time. But I just want to remind you in this text, I want to remind you that sometimes the Lord does things that, are, that appear to us to be out of the ordinary. Sometimes God moves in such a way that it appears to be against what is normal in Christianity. We've got to learn to trust him and to be led by him. His father and mother knew not that it was of the Lord. Samson knew it was of God. I believe Samson knew that it was of God, even though his parents didn't. He sought an occasion against the Philistines. I wonder this morning, are you following the Lord yourself? Do you know what it is to be led by God's Spirit? Do you know what it is to be moved by God's Spirit? Do you know what it is to have the Spirit of the Lord God come mightily upon you? Are you willing to follow the Lord, the Spirit of God, even when it appears to be a little bit different, a little bit of a different way, a different pattern than usual? Are you willing to follow Him? Are you able to recognize that God has given you victory in the past over certain lions and therefore He is prepared to give you victory in the future? And lastly, Lastly, do you recognize that there is sweetness out of death? There's sweetness out of tragedy. There is the possibility of something good out of something dark. Every once in a while, we forget that, don't we? We forget that passage in Romans chapter 8, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are the called according to His purpose. That is a promise, and in some ways, one of those life verses that we as God's children hold on to. We know that all things work together for good, even out of death, even out of darkness, even out of difficulty. We find sweetness. And I'm praying that God would enable us to see such light and such darkness. I know that we're living in a day when the majority of God's people are bowing the knee to the Philistines. We've allowed this world to rule over us for far too long. And it's time that you and I broke the chains of the Philistine army. It's time you and I stopped following the ways of this world and began to live in consecration like Samson. It's time that we began to live in total, complete consecration. I remind you again that although Samson was a Nazarite consecrated to God, Jesus Christ is the perfect example of complete consecration. He is the one totally and completely consecrated, and that's the pattern that we have. And may the Lord help us today to follow in his footsteps. Would you bow with me in prayer, please? Our Father in heaven, we bow humbly before thee this morning, acknowledging that perhaps for too long we have been easily led by this world, confessing, Lord, that we have allowed this world and its system to rule and reign over us. We have grown quite comfortable in this world. We ask of the Lord to forgive us 
Forgive us as well for neglecting to remember the lions of the past, the victories of the past that thou hast given us. But I pray that we might today take note and remember thy mighty hand moving in our lives. And may it give us courage and strength to believe that the battles that lie ahead are sure to be victorious as well. I pray that we might as well be able to see that out of, out of darkness and out of death can come sweetness. Out of great tragedy can come something very sweet. Help us, we pray, to have the right eyes concerning the situations and the troubles that we face. May we keep our eyes fixed upon our Savior. May we be moved by thy Spirit and learn what it is to be led by him. So, Father, we give ourselves to thee now and commit these things into thy hands, for we ask them in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen.